Ephesians 4.17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Okay. All right. Good. Good to see you. Um, Danny Ocean in the first scene of one of those great movies from about twenty years ago, Ocean's Eleven, um, is put on camera in prison garb, and he's going before a parole hearing board. Danny Ocean's played by George Clooney, by the way, and uh, he's in the North Jersey State Prison, and he sits down before the parole board, and they ask him if he's been reformed from his past crimes and why they should release him, and if they end up releasing him, what is he going to do? And they do end up releasing him. And in the next scene, he has changed clothes from a prison uniform into a tuxedo. And by the way, the, the score picks up in the background right there. It's such a cool movie. It's a great, a great opening scene. And the movie is sort of off and running. Um, he goes from wearing a prison outfit to wearing a tuxedo. And his change of clothes marks his change of status. I think we all inherently realize that clothing, to some degree, uh, helps us identify who we are and who others are. Those of you who are serving in the military, of course, know this. You have a uniform that distinguishes you from civilians. There's a historical precedent for this for men who are pastors too. We wear a clerical collar, and I mean the royal we, because I've never once worn a clerical collar in my life. You know, a pastor uniform now is like khakis, you know, if you're in the PCA, or skinny jeans for Acts 29 people. Um, But we all have uniforms to identify us. And in these verses, the Apostle Paul is teaching that entering into the Christian life, 
Being born again, coming to faith in Jesus is like changing uniforms. It's like taking off one set of old clothes and putting on a new set of clothes. He tells us in verse 22 that we have put off the old person, the old self. And in verse 24, we have put on the new self. This is another way that the Bible describes how Jesus radically changes people. Has that happened in your life? Has Jesus changed your identity? And if he has, what difference should it make? That's what Ephesians is about. This letter from the Apostle Paul, who wrote it from a prison, probably in Rome, has been teaching us all about how our identity is changed when we encounter Jesus and we, when we connect with Jesus through faith in the gospel. The first half of Ephesians, chapters 1, 2, and 3, are really about how our standing with God is changed when we connect with Jesus. That's especially what chapters 2, verses 1 through 10 are about. And the first half of Ephesians is secondly about how our community, how the people that we're connected to also fundamentally changes when we connect with Jesus. That's what verses 11 through 22 of chapter 2 are about. Brian introduced the second half of the letter to us last week, and he told us rightly that this half of the letter focuses on really practical Christian living. Another central truth that the second half of Ephesians is about is that our lifestyle, our lifestyle also is radically changed when we encounter Jesus. We take off the, and we put on the new clothes of righteousness and holiness, Paul tells us. Brian said last week in verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul uses that word walk as a metaphor for the Christian life. And he mixes metaphors in chapter 4, which is very common in the Apostle Paul. He says, on the one hand, the Christian life is like walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. He uses the same verb again there in verse 17, that we should no longer walk as the Gentiles do, but he also uses the metaphor, as I've shown you, of changing clothes. And both walking and changing clothes communicate something critical to us. Here's what I want you to hear today. If it is true that you are a Christian, if you profess to be a Christian, it is going to change everything, including the way we live. If you profess to be a Christian and if the spirit is at work in your heart, it's going to change everything including the way we live. That's what the rest of this letter is about. So here's a question that I want you and I want myself to contemplate for our lives this morning. Which set of clothes are you wearing? Which set of clothes are you wearing? Let's allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us through these verses, to encourage us, to convict us, to draw us back to himself through repentance and faith. And I want to show you three things as we walk through these verses, as we ask that question, and as we invite the spirit to come and move. First, your old clothes. Second, changing clothes. Third, you might guess it, your new clothes. Okay, so first, let's look at your old clothes. That's verses 17, 18, and 19. And if you look at those verses that Christine read, you'll see Paul described the way the Gentiles walk. And really, that he's writing from the perspective of an ancient Jewish man, that, but that's anyone 
before they become Christians. It's the way all of us used to live, used to walk before we became Christians. And it's not a pretty picture. Look at what he says. These are the old clothes that we used to wear before Jesus came into our lives and rescued us. And Paul here describes how our sin and our opposition to God and our brokenness and our resistance to his love showed itself really in three big areas. First, it shows in our hearts. Our old clothes show up in our hearts. Look at what he says in verse 18. The Gentiles were alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Now listen, due to their hardness of heart. Now in the Bible, that word heart means who you really are. It's your true self. It's your inner person. It's the real you. And Paul is saying that before Jesus comes and invades our story, our hearts were hardened. He doesn't say, notice, he doesn't say they were hard. He says there's a hardness to them. And there's a difference. What's the difference? Hardness implies an active resistance to and rejection of God's clear revelation of himself in the world and in our consciences. Hardness of heart is to repeatedly make foolish and wrong choices that cause us to become more and more calloused. He uses that word there as well. More and more calloused to God. More and more insensitive to God's ways. Paul's saying that before Jesus came into our lives, all of us had a sclerosis of hearts. Do you remember what that was like? I know some of you do. If you remember your life before Jesus, behaviors and activities that initially were scandalous to you or that you felt guilty about, the more you engaged in them and practiced them, the more normative they seemed until eventually you're not convicted of these things in your conscience at all. In fact, you might even have called what you once thought was wrong, right. That's hardness of heart. Our old clothes involve our hearts, but secondly, they involve our minds. Hardness of heart leads to the Gentiles, verse 17, walking in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. Here's the reality. We don't see the truth or believe the truth about God before we become Christians. And listen, because we don't see or believe the truth about God, we also, to some degree, misunderstand the truth about everything else. Because God is the fountain of all real knowledge and truth, if we reject God, our beliefs about everything else are going to be to some degree distorted. Before Jesus, in our old clothes, we really don't understand anything rightly because we eliminate God from the picture. We're darkened in our understanding. We're ignorant of the truth. Now, that doesn't mean that non-Christian people are intellectually stupid. Of course, it doesn't mean that. There are actually many non-Christians that I have in my life that are much more naturally intelligent than I am. What it means is they use their intellect in a way that subtracts God out of the picture and therefore leads to misunderstanding on any area in which they use their mind. Their hearts are darkened. Their minds are darkened, excuse me. Um, Non-Christians work really hard. 
Paul says, uh, to suppress, to suppress what is painfully obvious. He talks about this in another letter, Romans chapter one. What is painfully obvious is that there is a God and that he deserves our worship. We see this darkened understanding all over our culture. I could do a whole sermon series on ways in which our culture manifests an ignorance of God. What is termed progressive and enlightened is often just a new iteration of these ancient forms of intellectual rebellion. But this can be more personal too. Some of us have friends and family um, that we're praying for, that we've been trying to share the gospel with, that are just totally totally oblivious to the truth. Have any of you ever had an experience like that? I, I read a story this week about um, William Wilberforce. Some of you might know who he is. He was an early 19th century British statesman who was instrumental in the abolition of the slave trade across the Atlantic in the UK. And Wilberforce was a strong believer in Jesus Christ and his faith impacted every area of his life. And one of his best friends in uh, the state work of the state was a man named William Pitt, who was a a very well-known, one of the most significant British statesmen of the last 200 or 300 years. And Pitt was not a Christian and Wilberforce, because of his relationship with Pitt and his care for him, kept praying for him and inviting him to come to worship. And finally, one week, William Pitt agreed to join Wilberforce for church. And so they went to church together. They went to this Anglican church in central London. And the man who preached there was a man named Bruce Cecil, who was an incredibly gifted preacher and expots word. That particular Sunday, Cecil was just killing it, just on fire. From the pulpit, And he says that his heart was just inflamed as he heard the good news of the gospel and his affections were stirred and he felt this deep love for Jesus and he was praying for his friend and he and Pitt after worship walked out onto the streets of London and William Pitt looked at William Wilberforce and said, you know, I don't have the slightest idea what that guy was talking about. How many of you have ever had an experience like that? That's a darkened mind. Our old clothes mean our hearts were hardened. It means our minds were darkened. And then thirdly, it has an impact in our behavior. Verse 19, they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That last phrase there, greedy to practice, really can mean that they never get enough. They're never satisfied in their pursuit of wickedness and evil. And this is, to be honest, isn't it? Very straightforward. The apostle Paul pulls no punches. He says, darkened minds and hardened hearts lead to evil, unjust, oppressive, grievous lifestyles. And there's always more evil that we in our unbelief want to engage in and are allured by. I'm reading a book right now. I'm not going to tell you the author because you'd make fun of me, but it's a fantasy book. And uh, the bad guy is this big, huge spider. That's how he manifests himself. And the spider continues to get larger and larger as he devours all the lights around him. Darkness follows this spider everywhere. He devours light. He devours everything everything that's good. And as he devours it, he gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And he's never satisfied with his evil, corrupt, oppressive devouring until he eventually devours even what it's like to live apart from Jesus. Our old clothes affected our hearts. They affected our minds. They affected our behavior. But something has happened. We've changed clothes. 
Our old clothes, a hard heart, a darkened mind, a scandalous lifestyle don't identify us any longer because Jesus has come for us. Don't you feel like kind of sick after you read verse 17, 18, and 19, and then you see that word in verse 20, but, but that's not who you are anymore. Why not? It's not because you pulled yourself out of it. It's not because you got a good education. It's not because you found the right group of friends. It's not because you raised your self-esteem. It's because Jesus has come. He has caused us to be born again. He's died for our sins. He's raised us up to life with him. By grace, we have been saved. It's not our own doing. It's the gift of God. That's the great news of the gospel. That's what Paul comes back to in verse 20 of chapter 4. That should be a life-giving verse that makes us thankful. God has done something for us. He has burst in. He has released us from our hopeless and doomed former way. He has saved us by his death. He has made us sons and daughters of God. Jesus gives us his spirit as a seal. And then Paul says... That when we experience this change of conversion in the gospel, something else happens. We enter into the school of Jesus. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Now, that's a unique way of saying it. In fact, this is the only time in the entire Bible where that verb learned is linked to a direct object that is a person in this case, the man Jesus, and not a concept or an idea. He says, that's not how you learn Christ. And what Paul means is that when a person comes to know Jesus in faith, when we come to know Jesus in faith, we we welcome Jesus as a living person into our lives. And we are shaped and trained by his way. By his teaching. Look at how he puts it in the next verse, 21. Assuming in him as the truth is in Jesus. Here's what happens when you come to faith in Jesus. This is great news, guys. Great news. We don't just have our past failures erased, although that's good enough. We don't just have our future destiny secured, although that also is great. When we trust in Jesus, we have our current lifestyles forever altered. What do we learn that is in the school that is Jesus? He tells us, verse 22, when you invite Jesus into your life to be formed by his way and his teaching, you learn to put off your old self, 22, and then secondly, to put on the new self. Now, importantly, these are not commands. Certain translations can make those read like commands, but they're not. Rather, these are ways of describing the definitive breach with our old way of living that comes when that happens when we come to faith we change clothes we leave our prison uniform like Danny Ocean did and we put on a tuxedo a wedding garment we enter an entire new world we inhabit an entire new identity and, and I want to camp out here for just a minute because what Paul says here is very important for practical change in your life. He says, change in your life as a Christian actually happens 
when you remember that you've already changed clothes. That's why he says in between verse 22, put off the old self and 24, put on the new self. Look at what he has in 23, that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. In other words, the way we get comfortable in our new clothes is to be renewed in our minds. Notice that's passive. Remember that from seventh grade English. Passive, not active. In other words, the Holy Spirit helps us to remember who we are, to believe what is already true of us. God comes and he enables us and he empowers us to rehearse to ourselves, to preach to ourselves the truth that in Christ, we have entered a whole new realm of existence. In our conversion to Jesus, we've got a new set of clothes. So Paul says, wear the clothes you've got. The way of the Christian life is to remember who we are and act like it. To remember who we are and act like it. Remember you've changed clothes, act like it. The story that always comes to my mind, I've told it before, when I think about this Christian ethic is when I was about a 14 or 15 year old young man, and this was rare, trust me, but I had done something really stupid. It almost never happened. And um, my dad came home one afternoon and my mom told my dad what I had done. And I'm thinking, uh oh. And uh, my dad came into my room and said, Luke, let's go for a walk. And now I'm really thinking, uh oh. He's got to find a place to bury the body, right? Let's go for a walk. And so we go out for a walk. And I I remember one thing that he said multiple things, but they all kind of had this undertone to them. Luke, you are a man now. It's time to start acting like it. You're a young man now. It's time to start acting like it. Be who you are. That's the way of Christian growth. Now, practically speaking, stick with me here. It's very important that we balance both the put off and the put on. Faithful Christian living ceases the former way of life over time and begins a new way of life over time because we remember of the definitive breach that has been made in our conversion. But many Christians, and I think some of you perhaps, live out of balance here. What do I mean? Some of you grew up around Christians or in churches that were only concerned with putting off. (laughs) You know what those churches are called, at least by me? Moralistic churches. These are the churches, these are the groups that love telling everyone what not to do. uh, What not to think. Who not to be around. Just say no. That's this group. Girls, that would really be bad. But boys... Who do? Don't do these things. Stop, stop, stop. That's the way of moralism. Moralism says, if you just stop the bad thoughts and the bad behaviors, you'll be fine. The problem is that there's nothing to replace these with in a moralistic grid. And it really doesn't work, at least not for long. It gives people a long list of don't touch, don't taste, don't look. But there's a vacuum on the other side. I might even say they overemphasize stopping sin and don't emphasize at all the beauty of a righteous new life. 
Some of you grew up in that world, and your temptation in your Christian life is just to think about what I need to cease doing, what I need to put off, and you measure yourself based on how well you think you've done this week, and so you're either proud or you're either depressed. You need both. Others of you grew up around cultures and Christians and have been taught an overemphasis on putting on. There's an overemphasis in just doing the right things. Um, that's not the way of moralism. That's the way of hypocrisy. Stay with me. Hypocrisy says act with righteousness and holiness, like verse 24 tells us. But they don't say anything about ceasing the former way of living. This group diminishes the definitive breach with the old way of life that conversion to Jesus brings. But the Bible doesn't do this. The Bible says, Romans 6, you've died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? You can't keep on telling yourself that you believe the gospel and that you are a Christian, but not ever work to gain any victory over sin. You can't keep doing that. You can't keep telling yourself that you believe the gospel and you are a Christian and not see any accompanying good works and fruitfulness in your life. It doesn't work that way. And if that's what your life is, that is a definite guaranteed sign that you have fundamentally misunderstood the Christian message. You can't wear your new clothes on Sundays and Wednesdays and at community group and then put your prison clothes back on the rest of the week. That's hypocrisy. And more importantly, it's a sign of a massive misreading of the gospel. Real change means acting like who you are more and more and more. Stopping the old patterns and activities in the power of Christ and obeying and submitting more and more to Jesus' way is what Christian growth is. So what do the new clothes look like specifically? Let's go there last, okay? So we've seen the old clothes. We've seen how we change with the definitive breach in Christ. We've put off and put on, and we continue to grow in Christ by renewing our minds, by remembering that these things are true and engaging in obedience, both in putting off and putting on. And then this second paragraph, verse 25 through 32, again, this could be an entire sermon series. Maybe one day um, I'll take a whole summer, and we'll just spend a summer on each of these verses. That would be well worth our time. But what Paul's doing here is fleshing out what it looks like to live in our new clothes. That's what these verses are about. He's saying, if you've come to faith, and if there's been a definitive breach with the old way in your life, and if you're submitting in obedience to the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, here are things that will be happening. Not perfectly, not immediately, not right away, and importantly, not without your efforts, but discernibly and noticeably over time in you. Let me just touch on um, five things. Don't freak out. We're going to go quick. Five examples that Paul uses for what our new clothes should feel like. First, put off lying. Put on speaking the truth. Look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Okay, so... In becoming Christians, we repudiate the lie of the evil one and embrace the truth. Jesus is the way, the 
truth, and the life. And our new way of living involves being truth tellers. Interestingly, Paul says, because we are members of one another. One way we love one another is by speaking the truth. God commands us to be truthful. So growing as Christians means deliberately cultivating truthfulness. This obviously means we shouldn't tell lies. But it also means we shouldn't mislead others for our own advantage. Are you speaking the truth in your life? Are you refraining from slander and half-truths and deceit, both in what you say in person and in your online life? where lies and half-truths and deceit abound. Second, put off anger. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So here Paul says it is possible to be angry and not to sin. Now, we read that and we think, yeah, that's what I normally do. No. No. (laughs) That is not what you normally do. It's also not what I normally do. God is righteously and perfectly angry. There's all kinds of Bible passages that teach that, but I think that's quite rare for me and for you. He adds, we should not let the sun go down on our anger. In other words, when you feel anger, wearing new clothes means you deal with it quickly. To allow it to fester and swell and surge for an extended time is dangerous. Why? Because he says it gives the devil a foothold. Anger leads to rage and that leads to many other destructive patterns, destructive ways of being. So confess your anger, root it out as quickly as possible. I have to confess this is a struggle of mine. It really is. I've been convicted this week I was angry at referees this week. I was also angry at coaches, even ninth grade junior varsity flag football coaches. I was angry at them this week. I was angry at my wife and my children this week. I'm angry at the guy in the left lane when the speed limit is 70 going 50. That makes me angry. (laughs) Was that you, Kathy, in the left lane? And, um, The Holy Spirit has told me this way. You can quickly repent of that anger. Don't let the sun go down on it. That's an area in which we need to be putting on and growing. Third, put off stealing and put on generosity. 28, look there. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, this example is clearly linked with the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. Now, stealing is not just breaking into a bank and holding up a store. Don't do that, by the way. Don't do that either. But stealing is much more than that. Stealing involves any time in which we fail to show gratitude to God for what he's given us. Uh, It's when we wrongfully withhold what is owed to others. So if you're an employee, you can steal when you don't give your best work. If you're in business, you can steal when you overcharge for what you make or for the service you render. You can steal by borrowing and not repaying. That is theft, by the way. Um, And so on and so on. Paul adds that rather than stealing, we should work hard. Work hard. Get a job and work 
Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Our new clothes mean we practice generosity with what God gives us, both in our hard work and in our open hands to others. Are we living a life of generosity? Fourth, put off corrupting talk. Put on edification. Verse 29, you see it there, right? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. The word here for corrupting is a word that refers to a a rotting fruit, a rotten fruit uh, in classical Greek. Uh, When I was a kid, we had an apricot tree in our backyard and every apricot that grew on that stinking tree was rotten. I'm, I'm not, I'm angry and sinning probably right now as I remember that tree. And my dad would always make us go clean up the apricots. And I remember you ever pick up a rotten, nasty piece of fruit. That's what Paul's saying corrupting talk is like. It has a rotting influence. In contrast, Christians, he says, should use their words to build up others. Listen to what James says in his letter. The tongue is a small part of us, but it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. You know where you see this all over the place is on the internet. Cancel culture has exacerbated this. Lies about people, false and corrupting talk about people can spread so quickly that no one can keep up with it. It's a lot easier to use corrupting talk about people behind the shelter of your keyboard or your phone. It's all over the place. Are we using our words in person and online to build up or to tear down? Last The fifth example of the new clothes is to put off hatred and to put on forgiving love. That's verse 31 and 32. Let me read them again real quick. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And be quick to forgive and keep a short record of wrongs. Why? Because Jesus has treated us with immense kindness and continues to do so every day. He's forgiven us of much greater sins against him than we have ever had committed against us. So are we forgiving people? Are we a kind people? These, my friends are the new clothes. We've all been given new clothes. We've learned Jesus. That changes everything about us. We have a new standing with God. We have a new spiritual family and a new lifestyle marked by love, not hatred. What clothes are you wearing? Let's pray.